podcast. The book of Acts picks up right where the four gospels leave off. The risen Christ commissioned his disciples to go into all the world and preach the good news. Acts tells us exactly how that happened, how the soul-saving message of the gospel spread throughout the entire Roman Empire in less than 30 years. Through enormous obstacles and without many resources, proven leadership, or modern technologies, these early Christians turned the world upside down because they had the Holy Spirit at work in their lives. This is their story. Let's join Pastor Ross with our verse-by-verse study through this amazing book. Here in Acts chapter 5, the story is kind of alternating between persecution of the church and God's blessing of the church, God's blessing the church, persecution against God's people. That's how it goes back and forth. And uh, this morning we find ourselves now having experienced last week the blessing of God. Now we have the pushback from the opposition Father God, in many ways we have similar, all too familiar tensions in this world, mostly in other countries, but even here, Father God, a hostility inbred in sinful men and women who resist in hostile ways all things gospel. And Jesus, you told us if they hated you, they're gonna not love us. For we act as you act, and we say what you said, and uh, we experience the same kind of reception. And so help us to glean wisdom and be inspired by these words uh, as we read of the early church and how they so bravely, courageously, and boldly kept on serving you. In Jesus' name, amen. Two teenage brothers were talking about grandma one Sunday afternoon after church, and one of them said, hey, have you ever heard grandma say a negative thing about anybody? And the brother responded, no, it's pretty amazing, even with difficult people, she always finds something good to say. I bet she'd even have something positive to say about the devil himself. Well, just then, Grandma walks in the room, and one of the brothers kind of winks at the other and says, Hey, Grandma, what'd you think of the sermon this morning? That nasty devil prowling about like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. How crazy is that? And Grandma pauses, looks up, shakes her head, and says, One thing you got to say about the devil, he just never gives up. How true that is, and from cover to cover, we see the Bible reveals that there's been a Satan in Hebrew, Satan, the adversary from the beginning, from the garden there at creation until the very last pages of Revelation, even after a thousand year break, he is loosed and we find him up to his same old tricks to put in the hearts of men and women 
to resist the saving work of God. That's his mission statement. And of course, here with the persecution of the church behind the hostile faces is what we have to recognize because the Bible says your real problem is not the faces of hostility, it's not the flesh and blood, but the powers behind that seek to harm God's people and hinder God's work. And so... God has his servants to do his will, and we're seeing them, the apostles, the believers, doing good. And the devil has his servants too, and we're seeing them. And how ironic that Satan's servants are the guys wearing religious robes, quoting scripture, and supposedly representing God. But Jesus forewarned his followers and us by saying, listen guys, you're going to be hauled in before the councils to give an account of your own lives and of the gospel. These religious hypocrites are going to kick you out of uh, synagogue, out of church, if you will. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think they're doing an act of worship for God. That's how inverted the world will be. Having exchanged the truth of God for a lie... You see, then everything, your reality becomes warped and perverted. And so he said the hour's coming, and it only been several months since his death and resurrection, and the hour has arrived. The context here, Jesus has, according to his plan, died and rose again to save us from our sins and to provide eternal life for whoever so believes in him. And he's entrusted the follow, his followers with the message that saves. He said, uh, stay here in Jerusalem, and then I want you to branch out to Judea, Samaria, and the utmost parts of the world with the message that brings life to those who have faith. And so here we are in phase one as we pick up where we left off. A great success. But not everyone is happy here in Acts chapter 5. Yet again, another run-in with the authorities uh, who have blown a head gasket again. Uh, these are the guys that handed Jesus over to be crucified just several months uh, ago. Um, and they're coming after his followers with a vengeance. And so we pick up the story. Despite the previous threats and persecution, the church is flourishing. I mean, there's been several nasty confrontations, a lot of threats, multiple warnings to stop preaching the gospel or else, and the believers have decided to go with the or else. And God has decided to pour his richest blessings. You've never seen a church like this. Over-the-top generosity, everybody's sharing their stuff, a hearts of compassion, unity, joy, excitement and miracles abounding. The Lord was adding to their number daily those who were being saved and that did not go unnoticed by the opposition. So here they come again at verse 17. Then the high priest and all the associates who were members of the party of the Sadducees were filled with jealousy and so the high court of Israel called the Sanhedrin, was made up of mostly Pharisees and Sadducees who normally hated each other, but since the enemy of your enemy is your friend, uh, they have united in their hatred of Christ and the message he brings. And they're filled with jealousy. 
Verse 18, they arrest the apostles and put them in public jail. Uh, last couple chapters, they arrested Peter and John alone. Now they've gone for the whole kit and caboodle, if you put it that way, all 12 of them. Now the replacement for Judas is a guy named Matt, and uh, he's in the mix. Verse 19, but during the night, there they are in public jail. During the night, an angel of the Lord opens the doors of the jail and brings them out. Go and stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people the full message of this new life. At daybreak, they entered the temple courts quick with obedience as they had been told and began to teach the people. Let's pause there, but we're going to walk through the entire incident and kind of um, glean some truths and insights that can help in us and inspire us in our lives. So note takers, the persecutors persist. So there's pushback. This is round two. If you were with us earlier, uh, we saw round one, as I mentioned, with Peter and John facing the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the others. Uh, but I'm happy to say that round one clearly went to Team Jesus. Uh, and uh, God graced those two men with such irrefutable wisdom that just really left the opposition speechless. And all they could do was threaten to huff and puff and blow their house down. And they said, go ahead and try, but we just can't help but speak in the name of Jesus. And so, yes, indeed. Um, and now, as we've been noting, that uh, Satan has been making alternating efforts. The first half of this chapter was trying to corrupt the church within. And so he's been trying. He goes back and forth. He tries to bring the opposition in the form of fear and intimidation and serious threat from without, from outside. And then that failed. And so he said to himself, well, let's try to corrupt from within. And you know, the harsh response to the deceivers who were believers, who kind of had a misstep, Ananias and Sapphira, why the smackdown immediately? Well, one commentator suggested, as well as others, that this um, corruption from within is what really can take a local church and destroy it. Uh, the outward threats, the church survives. In fact, uh, flourishes, I should say. And so, yeah, so we can have none of that. Jesus had a zero tolerance for uh, the division that could take down the only church on the planet. There was just one. And so, yes, indeed. So, um, so that's the first half was the corruption effort from within. And now the second half is the destroy the church from threats from without, as we say. So the fear of the Lord is flourishing and just increasing, and the church is growing uh, to the dismay of the opposition. And I imagine the devil at this point sending out an urgent memo to his demons. You, you know, the Lucifer was, a, was an angel. He fell, and a third of the angels fell with him. They're called fallen angels, or now we call them demons. The angels retain their 
title as good angels. We just call them angels. And the demons, the third of the angels that fell are called demons. And so <laughs> I imagine him sending out an urgent memo to his little uh, cohorts saying, what do I pay you guys to do? Uh, come on, look at this church. It's growing every day. They're loving God more and more. They love each other like crazy here's what I want you to do. I want you to just stir up our guys. Make them jealous. Once you make them jealous, sit back and watch. And so verse 17, the high priest, the, the Lord called them a brood of vipers. So the high priest would be King Cobra. And so the head honcho and all his associates come out and are filled with jealous indignation. Why? The tour buses into Jerusalem are no longer stopping to see them. Everybody on the bus wants to go see Peter, James, and John and the miracles and the joy and they're sharing and they're selling everything and giving to the poor and taking care of one another and God is doing miracles and where's the lame guy that's jumping around leaping like a happy kangaroo? Where is he? We want to see him. We're not interested in sour puss faces who are hung up on don't do this and don't do that. The formal, empty, dead religion. We don't want that. We want the message of life, the gospel. We want to see Peter, James, and John, please. And that threw the religious authorities into a jealous rage. Never underestimate the power of envy and jealousy to destroy not just the objects of your envy, but your life as well. Proverbs tells us that envy rots the bones. Here's the definition of envy. Intense desire to have what somebody else has that doesn't belong to you because you either didn't earn it, you don't deserve it, or God just didn't grace it to you. And with that desire for that thing comes a deep resentment and bitterness for those who have the thing you want. You see why it's called a malignant cancer that eats away at your soul. Jealousy is like it, and these guys have both envy and jealousy. A neurotic, self-absorbed fear of losing something you value to someone you consider a rival who's more worthy in your eyes or more attractive or more wealthy. And I use the word neurotic. I should use the word psychotic. Because if you get a jealous spirit, you will become insane. Because you just lose your ability to reason. Because you're on fire with this thing that turns your world and your worldview upside down. I always bring up with these guys, I always bring up King Saul, who had it pretty good. And God chose him and said, if you walk in my ways, I'll make the story for you and your sons really good. I could do that. I'll bring David in some other way because he has to come in, right? But King Saul, you just walk with me, man. And so one day, as I always bring up to you, uh, the ladies are singing their songs and the war heroes are coming home and they're out on the streets with the tambourines and they're singing songs. And the song goes, hey, uh, King Saul has slain thousands. And King Saul's all, yeah, that's me, baby. You know, sorry. <laughs> And, and then it's a, and then the song goes on to the next verse says and and David has slain his tens of thousands snap his whole life is ruined destroyed 
not just his life. Oh, his son will almost get killed by him because his son is friends with David. And so he hurls a spear to kill his own son. Sticks in the wall behind his head. All because he's jealous of this good-looking young man who God's got his hand on. He's better than me. Everybody likes him better. They're singing songs about him. He's going to take away everything I want and love and hope and dream for. Hey, he didn't stop with this kid. He gets to, he's chasing David to kill him, and he gets to this place where the tabernacle is, and the Lord's priests are there, 70, and they're good guys. And he says, did you, did you see David? Yeah, he came through. We gave him bread. He wanted some bread. We gave him hungry. We gave him bread. And then he asked for Goliath's sword that happens to be in the tent. We gave it to him. And Saul goes, kill them all. And the, sword, and the soldier goes, uh, boss, sorry, we can't do that. They're the Lord's priests. We don't kill them. Kill them. And then some loser, Doeg, says, I'll do it. And kills them all. Why? Because David is better. Everybody like David better than me. That's why 70 men of God lost their lives. And you don't think Pilate, Pilate's no idiot. He acted like a fool, but he's smart. And the gospel says he knew that the Pharisees and Sadducees handed Jesus over out of envy. That's what it says. So, you know, do what the Bible says about the envy and the jealousy that's in your heart and mine. Here's what the Bible says to do with it. When you find it, he says, put it to death. Colossians chapter 3 says, execute it. It uses the word to kill. Murder your jealousy before it murders you. And that goes with all of sin. And so jealousy, get them jealous. So that's what the demons are trying to fan into flame. And in keeping with Proverbs 27 and verse 4, listen to this. Anger is cruel and fury overwhelming, but who can stand before jealousy? In other words, if you, the Bible's saying if you think rage is bad, jealousy pours gas on an open flame. And these guys have got a big case of a fire brewing in them. So the head priest, along with his uh, wannabe accomplices, slither near and strike, apprehend the uh, apostles, toss them in the public jail, where the thugs, where the felons, where the rebels, where the drunks are. God's heroes. It's God the Father, God the Son, and reigning in the life to come, his 12 on the walls and the gates of the eternal city of God you will find 12 names who have been thrown into the county jail next to the drunkards the city of heaven the foundation will see Peter James John and the rest of them forever and these guys are arrested like crum common criminals. I can hear one of the thugs say, what are you in for? And if you read the previous paragraph, they would have to say, well, what we're in for is healing sick people, alleviating suffering, 
sharing the message of eternal life and setting free those who are oppressed by evil spirits in the name of Jesus. And wow, I imagine, this is sarcasm here, are you ready? I can, Im- <laughs> I can imagine one of the thugs saying, oh, man, we thought we were evil. Yeah, yeah, how terrible, how awful, what heinous criminals, right? And so I do want to say, you know, I love what Isaiah says, the world has a warped sense of right and wrong, and when that's the case, woe to you. And Isaiah says, woe to you who call good evil and evil good, who call darkness light and light darkness, and sweet bitter and bitter sweet. And why does he say woe to you? When the Bible says woe to you, it means how sad, how pathetic, what a disaster for you is coming. Because if, if you don't know which way is up, and your up is down and your down is up, the, the pilot flying like that is going to fly right into the side of a mountain. And all that you're destined for is to crash and burn If you don't know truth and you've exchanged the truth of God for a lie and Jesus said, I am the truth, but you reject what truth is, then you're going to walk around and call God Beelzebub, which means Satan, and you're going to serve Satan thinking you're serving God. Hmm, unbelievable. So the guys are locked up, but the God they serve is not... The church is praying up a storm. You know, they are the, those thousands of people that we've been reading about who love each other and are excited and filled with the Holy Spirit and they hear, what? They arrested our guys. You know what, that, what those church services are like. And so, yeah, they're all praying up a storm. The apostles are firing up their own requests and the Lord sends an angel to bust them out of jail. Did he post bond for them? No. God says, I don't need a post bond. I just need to send an angel and open the door, put the, put the guards into a little coma, and then uh, we'll, we'll bust them out of jail. Now, angels are going to, we see what they are. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 14 says, angels are God's ministering spirits who are sent to help those and serve those who will inherit salvation. In other words, if you're going to heaven or you will be in heaven, you have angels watching over you and helping you, assisting you along the journey. And when we get there, we will meet them, and they'll say, hey, remember this time? Yeah, that was me. It was like going like this to you. Didn't you kind of feel it a little bit? You know, you said, oh, I feel something pushing me. You know, whatever. I'm just getting carried away, as I've been known to do. And so... Uh, You know what? God loves his enemies. He wants the Sadducees who don't believe in miracles. They don't believe in the supernatural. That's why they're sad, you see. (laughs) That's how I was taught to remember them. But it's true. They don't believe in angels. They don't believe in miraculous things like that. That's what they're known for. And so God is saying, what are you going to say about that? What are you going to say about this? Come on. Uh, because I, I don't, and I'm quoting Ezekiel 33, 11, I don't take any delight in the death of the evil, but rather that they turn and live. So the angel loves it. <laughs> get some rest bright and early, get your coffee, get back, take your place on the X, right where they came and got you, and do exactly the opposite of what they told you to do. And share all the words of this life, new life, 
the word is capitalized in the ESV, rightly so, because it's life. It's the life of God. And I love, tell the full message. Don't you be leaving anything out now because they are intimidating you. Oh, no, you tell the full message because the full message is what saves. So let's take the parts out that they don't like hearing. Well, then you ruined it. A changed gospel is not the gospel. And if the gospel is what saves, then a changed gospel that's not the gospel cannot save. Amen? So that's what Satan loves. Just change it, tweak it enough to where it loses its efficacy, its effectiveness. Okay? And so I love what they say. They don't say, hey, run for your lives, go home, be afraid, be dominated by fear. No. Go and return to the work that God gave you to do. And listen, the doors will open up for you in supernatural ways when you're obedient. So many times we get ourselves into imprisoned places because of our stupidity and our disobedience, and we expect, and we call on God like, hey, it's your job, bust me out of this thing. The theme of these chapters is obedience and supernatural (laughs) enablement. They're constantly doing what they're told to do. Go back and do it, gentlemen, and stand firm. And look at what heaven's opinion is of what Christianity is and the message of the gospel. Go and share the word of life. Listen to this. Listen to the word life. John 3.36 He who has the Son has life. He who doesn't have the Son shall not see life. John 5.24 Jesus speaking. Whoever believes in me will cross from death and judgment into life. Uh, John 11.25 Mary and Martha stopped crying. Didn't I tell you? I'm the resurrection and the life. Uh, John 14.6 I am the way the truth, and the life. Uh, John 10.10, I have come that they might have life. Here's what the Bible's saying. Christianity and the gospel is saying, you don't have life, nobody. You don't have life because you're estranged from the source of life because of your sin. But through the gospel, you can have a change of mind, repentance, change your mind, trust in the author of life, and be reconciled to the source and live. And what Paul calls that is life that is truly life. He tells Timothy in 1 Timothy uh, chapter 6, have life that is truly life. That's amazing. Yeah, you can exist. It's kind of cool to exist because God made the ones who are just existing. And life still has kind of a spark to it. But you can't have life that's really life. You just have existence without the life giver. And so uh, 21b, we go on. (laughs) It's a fun story. When the high priest and his associates arrive at court, they call together the Sanhedrin. Now this is really important. The full assembly and sent to the jail to get the guys they imprisoned. 22. But on arriving at the jail, the officers do not find them there. (laughs) So they went back and reported, "Uh, sorry boss, we found the jail securely locked and the guards standing at the doors, but when we open them, there's no apostles inside. (laughs) Verse 24. On hearing this report, the captain of the temple, this is like the chairman of the board, the important guy, 
he and the chief priests were puzzled. I love that. You know, what could this mean? Why I'm so confused? Oh, come on. They love to do act like they're, oh, I don't know what's going on. Wondering what would happen. What's gonna, how is this story going to end? 25. Then someone came, and nobody just isn't even named in the story, and says, look out the window. The men you put in jail, are. this is like just to rub it in. The guys you put in jail are standing freely in the temple courts where you took them from teaching the people. And guess whose name they're using? (laughs) At that time, the captain went with his officers and brought the apostles. They didn't use force because they feared the crowds would kill them. And they could have. The crowds are with the guys. What happened, guys? Why are you out here? How are you teaching us? They locked you up last night. Yeah, an angel came. We're out. He told us, just do what you're doing. So open your Bibles with me, folks, and let's get busy. You know, that made them crazy. So uh, the persecution persists. Check. Now the Lord outwits. He outwits his opposition. He outsmarts them. And what do you think? God has unlimited resources. Whoever's fighting against the Lord is just outgunned in the worst possible way. And so, yes, even if they kill you, even if they kill you, you win. There's just no losing for winning or something like that. There's just, it, it's win-win with the Lord. The worst thing they can do is send you into eternity to be in the paradise of God where he rewards you with eternal life. Yikes. So here's what blows my mind. They continue in defiance of an irrefutable miracle. They'd rather reign in hell than serve in heaven. Like the atheists all over YouTube who say, I hate the God of the Bible. Even if it's true, I'm glad I'll be separated from from a beast like him. Their words. Sir, the devil has confused you so that you read words and you conclude terrible things. But that's because your understanding has been warped. Because we read those words and go, how can a God like that even care about a person like me? Uh, We are in love with him. And uh, it's a nightmare to sense his distance from us. And so the opposition encounters a full-blown miracle again been going on. Just keep this in mind. They've been seeing miracles. They're in the crowds in the gospel. They've been seeing it this close. Blind eyes open up, demons leaving screaming, you are the son of God. (laughs) They've seen, they've seen a lot. All right, the guy in the temple who was lame, leaping around, and now this. Sympathy cards for them, if they end up in hell, torn. Sorry, (laughs) I told you about these guys. They are the high priests, the Sadducees. And when the lepers were healed, Jesus said, don't go home. Oh, don't go home as much as you want to. But according to the law of Moses, you have to get a certification from the Sadducees, who are the priests. So I want you to go go right now, show them your hand, say, hey, hey, man, I only had three fingers left. Now look, how did that happen? My nose was caved in from the leprosy. I had oozing sores all over me. But Jesus came and said, be clean. And this happened to me. 
And he sent me to you guys and said, according to the law of Moses, you have to certify me. And they inspected them and certified them and sent them on the way. These guys have seen a lot. It's not just a jailbreak. I could go on, and I'm going to. <laughs> the sun stopped shining for three hours. Explain that. There was an earthquake when he breathed his last, and the veil in the temple that took 200 priests to handle. It's a very big, thick as a man's hand, Josephus says. Torn from top to bottom. Explain all of that. Explain how the guards came to you and said, we're no Christ, Christ follower, but we saw angels. And they rolled away the stone. They're talking to the ladies and they're saying, what are you looking for a, a live person in, in a cemetery? Boss, we saw angels. <laughs> Tell everybody, make up a story, lie, we'll give you money. And if this gets news up higher, we'll, we'll, we'll put in a good word for you. These guys have been in torment for 2,000 years. And that's nothing, that's nothing compared to eternity. They didn't have to go. He died for them. And he keeps working with them. Uh, it's pretty amazing. And so they, 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 they lock them up. The bewilders officers uh, are saying, you know, we lock the doors. The guards are there. The doors are locked. But they're not in the room. So we don't really know what to tell you. And so, yeah, you know when Obi-Wan Kenobi, is, I think is his last name. Thank you, Barb, for laughing. You have to. I'm... <laughs> You gotta have somebody. So Obi Wan Kenobi, uh, they're at, they're dealing with guards, and he does this thing, and he he says to them, "These are not the droids you're looking for," and the guards go, "These are not the droids we're looking for." That's kind of what happened here. The angels like, "These are not the apostles you're looking for." In fact, you're gonna be snoring so loudly, you know. So what did he do? He put the guys into some kind of sleep. And just how does he just speaks and says open and the thing goes. Pfft. It's amazing that the the laws of nature are suspended by the one who put them in place in the first place. He's got the power to undo what he has done, and so yeah. So uh, he, he they send them out and they start teaching. Now I just want to know when Peter said it. So open your Bibles and turn with me to. I want to know as a pastor what did he teach them that? Oh, how fun! What what was it? And I I kind of think I know what it is. I think he went to Isaiah. I think he went to Isaiah 61 and said, hey, you guys, let me teach you about Isaiah 61, the prophecy of the mission of Messiah. Jesus used this in our hearing and said, that's me. So let me teach it to you. Isaiah 61 says, Messiah speaking, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me. He sent me to bring good news, to bind up broken hearts, and to open prison doors and set the captives free. <laughs> so there were high fives. They know that it's merely about our hearts being set free. But, you know, here's the deal. This is just not the only prison break in Acts. There's three with angels. The second one is coming up in chapter 12. Peter's chained between two soldiers, and in the morning, Herod wants to cut his head off. 
because sadly, he just had James, John's brother, beheaded. And now Peter is next. But in the middle of the night, the angel smacks him on the side. It says, strikes him, Peter. <laughs> I said, Bubba, wake up, man. It's, it's time to get out of here because they want to cut your head off in the morning. So God is saying, like, get up, let's go. Go back to the upper room. And so he, he <laughs> chained to two soldiers, and there's soldiers around them because they're like, we're used to this angel thing. And so they reinforced. There were like 16 soldiers, four squads, uh, whatever, and just a lot of soldiers, a lot of chains, and no <laughs> problem for God. And boom, he's out there. And then in the third time, chapter 16, Paul and Silas in the Philippian jail, earthquake, gates of iron, um, open wide, chains fall off, prisoners set free, and <laughs> souls get saved. One writer said, it seems God would rather enjoys doing miracles that reveal his heart, that teach the purpose of the gospel. In this case, he came to set the captives free. So that's just a beautiful thing. Notice in verse 26, they're very careful not to aggress these men because now they're heroes and the thousands of men strong and ready to come after those who would harm their God-given pastors. With one nod, they know, and they've confessed. With one word from Peter, James, and John, they'll kill us. But what they don't know about Peter, James, and John is that we are not the vindictive, vengeful murderers. We are not like them. We do not stoop to their Levels like Jesus, as Peter told us in his first letter, chapter 2 and verse 23. When Jesus was reviled, he did not revile back. When he suffered, he made no threats, but he entrusted his, himself to the one who will bring justice. That's what he does. When you insult a Christian, they, they say, you got anything else? Whatever, turn the other cheek. When somebody says, yeah, we want you to go a mile. Actually, I've got some time on my hands. I, can I go too? The enemy's hungry. You feed him. He needs clothes. Give him some clothing. That's who we are. But see, they don't know that. They're going to kill us. And no, we're going to pray for you. Because we don't want you to die. We want you to live. We have a heart of love. And we are told to submit and respect authority. And we will and do. As long as it doesn't interfere with the gospel or force us to violate our consciences, then all bets are off. So in keeping with the spirit of humility, they peaceably accompany the guards back to the courtroom where this happens, verse 27. Having brought the apostles in now, they make them appear before the Sanhedrin, to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, this name, he says. Yet you filled Jerusalem. Good job, faithful. Uh, preach here, be my witnesses in Jerusalem. You filled the place with this teaching. Anna, thank you. <laughs> uh, with your teaching, and you're determined to make us guilty of this guy's blood. This guy, this name. We're not going to say the J word because we hate it. Verse 29, Peter and the other uh, apostles, 
apostles replied, we must obey God rather than men. Haven't we been through this? Deja vu. We just told you this a couple chapters ago. Uh, verse 30, the God of our father raised Jesus from the dead. This is a Jewish thing. Um, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. The tree, a nickname from Deuteronomy. And in the law it said, cursed is anybody who hangs on a pole. The word tree can mean pole. It can mean gallows. So it just means uh, if you see somebody hanging there as a result of their criminal activity, God considers them cursed. So Christians identified Jesus hanging on the pole as a beautiful thing because he became a curse on the tree, nickname for us. So he's cursed, we're blessed. That's the gospel. Uh, And the nickname stays of tree for cross. Verse 31, God exalted him. If you're wondering where he is now that you crucified him, he's at God's right hand as royal son and savior that he might kill you all for doing this. No, that he might give you a change of mind, that he will help you to change your mind so that you can have forgiveness, all of you, this whole country of Israel. He's for Israel. He's for you guys not against you. Verse 32, we are witnesses. I love that. Be my witnesses. You shall be my witnesses. You filled uh, Jerusalem. We just see evidence that they're doing really good uh, of these things. So is the Holy Spirit whom God has given uh, to those who obey him. In other words, obey him and have what we have, the thing you're envious of, guys. It can be yours right now. Just obey him. Is that so hard? So they say, you know, now we have the, the persecutors persist, the Lord outwits, and the apostles stand firm. And so they say, gentlemen, stand on the axe. And I can hear Peter say, yeah, yeah, I've been there, done that. We know, uh, we know. And so the first words are curious. They don't say, okay, guys, we locked you up. We went to get you. The door's locked. The guards are there, but you're not inside. How'd you do that? Oh, no, we don't care anymore because we see miracles. We've seen them for three and a half years. They're not, we've decided, look, uh, we don't want to repent. We don't want to humble ourselves. We, we see this gospel as a threat to our corrupt way of living. We'll have to change everything. Not going to do it so it doesn't care. We don't care how you got here. We just care that we told you to shut up and you keep talking. We, we told you. Why are you doing this? Why are you defying us, you see? And yeah, they hate him. And you'll notice, as I pointed out, they don't use his name. You keep teaching in this name, and you're trying to make us guilty for this guy's blood. Well, who are we talking about? J-E-S-U-S? That one, the guy you killed? The God you killed? Jesus. On the night Jesus was betrayed at the Last Supper, Jesus was just kind of scratching his head about their hate of him. And he said this by quoting King David a thousand years earlier. He said, you know what's crazy? They hate my guts. I hate to say it like that, but that's kind of the idea. They hate me for no reason. And he quoted the psalm. They hate me for no cause. There's no cause. Why would you hate the God who wraps himself up in a human form so that he lay down and die for you? He made you. He created you. The words of life, you're hearing them, and, and, and you want to bite not only the hand that feeds, 
You want to bite the hand that determines heaven or hell. What is wrong with you? And that's what Jesus is quoting the Psalm 69 for saying, what? What? This doesn't make sense. Why would you want to kill a guy, as Jesus said in John chapter 10, well, for which good work are you going to kill me? Because they had stones. And they said, oh, well, no, it's not about your good deeds. It's about who you're claiming to be. You're making yourself equal to God. And then he says, well, if I can't do what only God can do, then don't believe me. But if I can say, hey, I'm equal to God, and then I can do what only God can do, then trust for the sake of the miracles so that you can be saved. It's so reasonable. And that's why Jesus is there. Why would you hate it? hate me? Why would you hate me? That's just very telling. Verse 28, they leveled their accusation. We gave you an order. You keep defying us. And we especially don't like that you're laying the guilt for his blood on us. Oh, progress is being made. They're starting to feel guilty. The Holy Spirit is working. The Holy Spirit's job in an unbeliever is to make them feel guilty so that they'll turn and live. You don't turn on, if you're feeling, hey, I'm a pretty good person. No, it doesn't work that way. So progress is being made. They're yelping about it, you know. And, and like one writer said, if you throw a rock into a pack of dogs, the one that hollers is the one you hit. They've you, they've, a nerve has been touched. You're making it all about us and that we did something terrible. We committed the crime of the centuries by deicide, putting God to death. John Phillips said, the apostles, of course, are not so much interested in bringing the blood to their doorstep as they are bringing the blood to their hearts. May the blood of Jesus wash you clean and give to you life. And so, verse 29, as we told you before, gentlemen, God's commands supersede your commands. So there are plenty of scriptures that exhort us to respect and submit to governing authorities, as I've already said on several occasions and probably every sermon that I've preached on this. Let everyone be subject to governing authorities, for there's no authority except that which God has established. Got it, Romans 13. And then we live in the sometimes awful tension of Acts 4. We can't help but do what God has told us to do, Acts 5. We must obey God rather than men. We live in the tension. And as a pastor, I can only tell you that I have lived under that pressure for a year and a half. Romans 13, Acts 4 and 5. Romans 13, Acts 4 and 5. When I'm afraid, when I'm fearful, when I'm confused, when I'm stressed out, when I'm pressured, and I can't see in front of me, I go with Acts 4 and 5. That's how I do it. If I can see and I sense I'll go with Romans 13 every time in civil matters. But if I can imagine myself before the throne of God answering for this life and your lives, then I'm going to go with God. We try to obey you and err on the side of helping the gospel, baptizing people, doing things that would 
enhance ministry. That's where I fall. And then on that great day, we'll all find out how we did with that tension. Amen? So in verses 30 and 31, moving a little bit faster, the gospel that appears in every evangelical sermon in Acts, the centerpiece, always. Christ, equal to God, comes, lays down his life, dies for the sins of the world, is raised, and then the message preached. Whoever puts their trust in him lives forever. Boom. The gospel, as Jude says, that same message has never changed, never will change. It was entrusted once and for all to God's people when we take that message forward. He has two titles. His prince royal character, right? Sometimes he's called king, sometimes priest, sometimes prince. But we get it. The one they crucified is now royalty in heaven, as he always had been. And Savior, his divine mission, even at Christmas time, the angel says, uh, hey, he will save, name him Jesus, because the name means the Lord is salvation, because he's going to save his people hmm, from their sins. Everybody can become his people by trusting in him. Uh, so my question to you is, are you his people? Now, uh, the mission defined there, just to give a change of heart to Israel so that Israel can be saved. And Israel will be saved. Now, when the last Gentile becomes a Christian and God says, that's it, age of grace is done, he takes the church out of harm's way. And the entire tribulation is for one purpose, to wake Israel up. Oh, the whole tribulation, the whole last seven years is not about the world. It's about Israel. In fact, the great tribulation is called the time of Jacob, Israel's trouble in Jeremiah chapter 30, verse 2, you see. And at the end of the seven years, as your verses say, he's trying to save Israel. He saves them. It takes the end of the world that's how stubborn a Jew is. Ask my wife. She's married to one. <laughs> Very stubborn people. But I heard an amen. That's, that's awful. Wives, submit to your husband, says, says in the Bible. Just kidding. Whoops, okay, I'm digging a hole. <laughs> Save me, somebody. Lord, help me. I'm drowning. Okay. So, yeah. So he says, we're eyewitnesses of this whole thing. And so, too, have you noticed the Holy Spirit's a witness as well? What does he mean by that? He's saying the miracle. The miracle is the Holy Spirit's testimony. The guys are telling the truth. The Holy Spirit's testifying by doing the supernatural. Come on, guys. Uh, finishing up now, or the initial descent to our landing. Okay, verses 33. When they heard this, they were filled with remorse and repentance and cut down on their knees. No, they were furious and wanted to kill them. And they would have. They would have. They would have killed them right then and there had Gamal not stood up. But God's grace, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the Bible, the Old Testament, who was honored by all the people, even the Sadducees, even though he's a Pharisee, they have to respect this dude, is top rabbi 
in the nation. So he stands up and he ordered that the man be put outside for a break. So they took a break. Verse 35, then he addressed the men of Israel, consider carefully what you're about to do. Some time ago, Thutis appeared, claiming to be somebody. And about 400 guys rallied to him. He was killed. All his followers went and poof, dispersed. It came to nothing. And after him, remember Judas the Galilean, not Judas the traitor. Judas was a popular name. The Lord's brother, half-brother, was named Judas. He changed his name to Jude. Why? Because Judas ruined the name for all humans. And the only people you name, the only ones who get the name Judas is your pit bull. <laughs> you didn't receive it much better than second. So what I'm thinking is you guys have pit bulls. How about if I said the only thing you name Judas is your boa constrictor? Uh, I think I'll just stick with the Bible here. <laughs> so a different Judas appears in the days of the census, Christmas story, 33 years ago. Led a band of people in revolt. He too was killed. Where's followers? Poof, gone. 38. Therefore, in this present case, here's what I would recommend. Leave these guys alone. <laughs> Let them go. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it's going to fail. But if it's from God, you guys, you're not going to be able to stop these guys. You will only find yourselves, guess what, fighting against God. That's the saddest thing for an atheist to wake up one day and realize, oh, I was fighting against God and love and the lifeguard of my soul. Oh, what a sting. So we got the wise rabbi now speaking words of wisdom, albeit worldly wisdom. And there's some holes in this uh, wisdom here. I'll point that out. So their response, not repentance, but rage. And Luke uses a word that means to be cut to the heart. And if you're speaking in King James language, they were sawn asunder within. In other words, they were shredded to pieces mentally and emotionally. So they're ready to kill them. Who are you, penniless, uneducated hillbillies? The Galileans were hillbillies. To lecture us, Israel's esteemed leaders and aristocracy, they were wealthy, corrupt men. How dare you tell us to repent? We're going to kill you guys. Let's kill them. You could feel the heat coming off the top of their heads. And Gamaliel stands up, a more mature, wiser, cooler head. He has mixed motives. People don't know what to think. Some people say, uh, he might be coming to faith. He might be. I hope we see him. Right? And this is his way of just slowing things down and trying to protect the guys. I don't know. I kind of side with the guys who say this is a political move. He knows that thousands of people who love these guys are outside. We are becoming less in the, our, our poll numbers are tanking. Theirs, never higher. So you're going to go out and kill them with the public right out there? They were going to drag them out and stone them. That's what they wanted to do. He says, I don't recommend that. 
I really don't recommend that. So he said, remember, and it's funny because their names rhyme. Remember Thutis and Judas? <laughs> it's funny. <laughs> you know, and they both, I love it. Thutis claimed to be somebody. Jesus didn't claim to be somebody. He always spoke in third person about himself. He, he himself said, I didn't come for my glory. I came for the glory of God the Father. He said, that's how you know my words are true because it's not, I'm not standing up on the street corners preaching about me, me, me. He was humble and gentle and lowly in heart. God in a human body. But Thutis, he was on the street corners. It's me. I'm the Savior. I'm the Messiah. So Thutis and Judas, uh, they're, they're, they're attempt. Well, the problem with the wait and see thing, success is really not the ultimate measure of truth. God's word is. There are many movements in this world that still exist from thousands of years ago that are against God's word. So the wait and see approach, uh, come on, man. Do you need sorry? Do you need more miracles than you've already seen or heard more gospel? You haven't. You, you have no need for any further information. You have all the information you need. Anyone who's been in this service today has all the information about the gospel. You'll never get any more than, than what you've already been told this service. You have enough to make a decision. You have enough in, uh, of God's testimony in creation. You have enough of what God's given you in conscience. There's no waiting. All the waiting is in seeking is just a guise to your own soul to tell yourself you're not really a rebel who's resisting the truth and digging your heels in. What you really are is just a truth seeker. You want to be sure in all of this. And maybe some of that may be true. But the Bible is quick to say, none of this, you don't need another day. And what if you don't have another day? What if your expiration date put on you by the life giver is tonight? Then what are you going to do tomorrow when you wait and see approach? Not good. A guy once told me, when I asked him, have you accepted the Lord as your Savior? He said, the jury's still out. And I said, well, just don't die before the verdict comes in. And the verdict better be positive for the one who gives us life. And so, uh, yeah, Gamaliel, hmm, he doesn't save them from flogging. And they only come down to, <laughs> I love what it says. Let's go there and finish up 40 to 42. His speech persuaded them, but I got to laugh. It persuaded them only this far. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. You could die from flogging. So instead of just pulling them out and killing them with stones right there, they came down one notch because they were persuaded to wait and see. But it didn't persuade them out of their hatred. So they made sure they, and I'm quoting the Greek, flailed the skin off of them. 39 stripes, two-thirds on your back, one-third on your chest. They ordered them, and on their way out after that, and by the way, shut up. 41, the apostles left the Sanhedrin, dejected, disillusioned. How could God let this happen to me? We're going to have to take some time off. Let's just take a break from church and try to work through some of our emotions and our anger toward God right now. We're his loved disciples. 
we were doing what we were told to do. And he let us have the skin flailed off of our backs. What kind of God does that? Oh, no, no, that's not what you read, is it? You read, instead of reading that, you read, they rejoiced, they were celebrating, they're high-fiving each other. Oh, that's hurt, right? But they're high-fiving, they're, they're rejoicing because they have been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name Day after day in the temple courts from house to house, they never stop. They never stop. They never stop. Do you know what the Greek word in, for never means there? Thank you. Never. <laughs> Teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. And so this is amazing. To our dying breath, we will preach the gospel our last words will be Jesus loves you he has a plan for you to their executors the martyrs were singing and giving words from the bible their dying breath was Jesus name the very thing that sentenced them to be dipped in wax and lit up as a torch for Nero's gardens thrown to hungry lions to be eaten slowly by those ravenous animals? Tertullian, church theologian of the second century, said, go ahead and kill us, torture us, grind us into the dust. The more you mow us down, the more we will grow. The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Some Christians can't handle getting an insult. And sometimes our lashing, though, is a tongue lashing, and it hurts. The power of the tongue, death and life. So we get murdered. We get brutalized. But it's right here. How do you respond? You respond celebrating and saying, wow, we're in some pretty good company. The heroes of the Bible, the Lord Jesus Christ, the prophets of old, we shared together. And God has counted us worthy of suffering in the same way he suffered. And in that, we rejoice. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your great love, your wonderful mercy. We look to you now. To seal in these words, hide them in our hearts, so in the time of testing, we will prevail and stand firm. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to The Rock's podcast. Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org.